Well, hey, welcome and good morning. My name is Josh Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Center Church. If you're a guest with us, welcome. You picked a great Sunday to come. You just got to see us commission our very first full-time, long-term missionary with the International Mission Board. Can we just give a big round of applause for that? We are so grateful for Julia. We're grateful for all that she's meant to this church. And we are praying that she is the first fruits of many, many people uh, who would say, man, I want to go and I want to take the gospel to people around the world who have never heard it. So it's a great day to be here. We're also going to be baptizing at the end of the service, which is exciting. So it's a little damp up here because we baptized in the last service. We're baptizing again. So man, you picked a great day to be with us. If you have a Bible, uh, please meet me in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting in verse 10. Uh, we're in a series called Come and See. And the big idea of this series is that we're trying to replace our cultural understanding of Jesus with the scriptural understanding of Jesus. And so we've been walking through the Gospel of John and looking at interactions that Jesus had in the Gospel of John to say, okay, who was Jesus? Not who do I think he is, not as, you know, what have I seen about him in movies or on memes or on t-shirts, but man, who is he actually? And um, one reason that's important is that you have to know who Christ is in order to know what a Christian is supposed to be. Right? Like you have to know who Christ is in order to know, okay, if I'm supposed to be like him, what, is that, what does that mean? So what does Jesus have to say about himself? Right? What does Jesus have to say about himself? Well, through the gospel of John, Jesus makes seven I am statements. Okay? He defines himself. And every time Jesus says something about himself, it also has implications for us. So for instance, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That means, man, we are spiritually hungry and we need him. Or Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That means that, man, we by ourselves are walking in darkness and we need him to be our light of life. So today, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And if, if you grew up around church, you've maybe heard that before. Uh, you might say, oh yeah, I've seen pictures of Jesus as the shepherd with the shepherd's crook and the lamb on his shoulders and the whole thing. Like, yeah, sure. Jesus is the good shepherd. Um, but here's what I want us to do today. I want us to take time today to meditate on what that means for our lives. If everything that is true of Jesus has implications for our lives today, what are the implications in your life and in my life that Jesus is the good shepherd? That's what we're going to do. And if you're a note taker, here's kind of the big idea that I want you to walk away from. It's this. Jesus is the good shepherd who gives abundant life now and eternal life forever. Or you might say Jesus is the only shepherd who can give abundant life now and eternal life forever. So we're going to walk through these verse by verse, and we're going to see what does it mean for our lives today that Jesus is the good shepherd. Let's start in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So the context of this statement by Jesus is a controversy. So in chapter 9, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath in Jerusalem, and that caused a big uproar. And the religious leaders of the day declared him to be a false prophet. They said, you're misleading the people. You're a false prophet. You're not sent from God because you're not abiding by our Sabbath rules. And so all of John 10, especially the first half, is Jesus responding to their accusation. And what Jesus says is, hey, yeah, you're right. There is a thief. There is one who comes to steal and kill and destroy, but that is not me. I have not come to steal and kill and destroy. I have come to bring you life and life abundant. Let me ask you a question. What do you think Jesus is after in your life? What do you think he wants for you? Does he want good for you or does he want bad for you? Does he want to take from you? Does he want to use you? Does he want to weigh you down and burden you? Or does he want to bless you? And does he want to give you life? And does he want to lead you to abundance? How you answer that question will determine how you relate to Jesus, won't it? 
If I think Jesus is out to get me, if I think he's not trustworthy, if I think his ways are not good, then I'm going to keep some distance between Jesus and I. Maybe I like some of his sayings, maybe I like some of his people, but I'm not going to follow him as my shepherd because he doesn't have my good in mind. But if on the other hand, no, Jesus has demonstrated that he's a good shepherd, that he loves me, that he cares for me, that he has my best in mind, that he's leading me towards abundant life, well, then I'm going to follow him and I'm going to submit to him. And so the question is, what do you think Jesus is after in your life? Here's what Jesus is saying. I did not come to hurt you, I came to help you. I did not come to take, I came to give. I did not come to kill, I came to bring life. Let me bring that down one more level. That means following Jesus will produce the best college experience you can have. Following Jesus will produce the best experience you can have as a young working professional, the best experience you can have in marriage, the best experience you can have as a retiree. That's what Jesus is saying. I don't think many of us believe it. I often think I don't believe it because if I did, I would follow him more. You see, here's the lie that Satan has been sowing into the human heart and mind from the very beginning. You can't trust God. You can't trust God. Think about Genesis 3. What did Satan actually do with Adam and Eve? He didn't talk that much about the fruit. Do you know what he did? He called into question the character of God. He said, Does God, did God really say that? Maybe there's a different way to interpret the Bible. There's this YouTube channel that tells you you can. Right? Maybe he didn't really mean that. Maybe this is an old antiquated book and you can't follow it today. Can you, did he really say that? And then what did Satan do? Satan said, you know, the reason God doesn't want you to take from the tree is because he knows if you do, you'll become like him. He's holding out on you. It's a power play. But if you express yourself, if you, if you assert yourself, if you take that fruit, you will be like God. And what did Adam and Eve do? They believed the lie of Satan. They took the fruit and they, they brought death and destruction into their lives and into the world. Friends, the fight of the Christian life is believing the truth that Jesus is a good shepherd, not a bad one. The fight of your life is believing the truth about God rather than the lies that Satan wants to sow into your heart and into your mind. You can't trust God. He doesn't want good for you. Do you know what Satan whispers to you today? This is what he whispers to you today. If you honored Jesus with your body and with your money and with your sexuality, you would be miserable. If you were biblical, you would be miserable. That's the lie of Satan. And it's one thing to get up here on stage and say like, yeah, Jesus is trustworthy. It's a whole nother thing when it comes to your life. Because do you know what it looks like in your life? It looks like this. I really want to express myself in this particular way sexually. It feels like if I did that, I would be happy. It feels like if I did that, I would be satisfied. Jesus is telling me that's not true. Is he a trustworthy shepherd? You know what else it looks like? Man, I, I really want to be in a relationship. I'm really lonely. This guy is cute and he's funny and he's got a job. Not a lot of those out there. And I'm getting older and, you know, he doesn't, I know he doesn't really have faith, but he's nice to me and he'll probably come to church if I ask him. I know God says, hey, don't be unequally yoked. It'll be bad for you. And in that moment, is Jesus a good shepherd or a bad shepherd? Right? Or, or you, you have kids and, and there's all the pressure of all the activities. And, you know, okay, all their friends are in, they're on multiple travel sports teams and they do private lessons and they take piano and they're in academic prep courses. And, but, but, if, but Jesus says that we should be connected to the local church and I can't do both of those things. So what, is Jesus a good shepherd or a bad shepherd? Does he want good for my kids or bad for my kids? Or 
The, the Bible says that everything I have is a gift from God, and he's called me to be a good steward of it. And he said, hey, give your first and your best back to me. Give financially to my work around the world. Give financially to my church, and I'll provide for you. But can I trust him? If I do that, will I be okay? Is Jesus a good shepherd or is he a bad shepherd? I think the fight of the Christian life is trusting the character of God. And Satan wants to whisper into your ears and into my ears and into your heart and into my heart, you can't trust him. Keep him at arm's length. Yeah, sure, if you want to go to church a little bit, that's fine. If you want to have some Christian friends, that's fine. But don't get serious about this thing because he will hang you out to dry. If you were biblical, you would be miserable. And Jesus is saying that's not true. Jesus is saying the opposite is true. There is a thief, Satan, the deceiver, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's what he's after in your life. That's not what I'm after in your life. I'm after abundance in your life. I came to save. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd three different times in this section of verses. And anytime Jesus repeats something, it's important. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to kind of walk through these verses and we're going to learn five things about what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd, five implications of that in our life. Here's the first one. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, it means Jesus is a competent shepherd. Because Jesus is the good shepherd, it means Jesus is a competent shepherd. The word good refers to more than this, but it refers to his skill, his perspective, his wisdom, his ability to lead you well. Here's what that means really practically in your life right now. If you are where you are because you're following Jesus, then you're exactly where he wants you to be. If you are where you are because you're following Jesus, then you are exactly where he wants you to be. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not confused. He doesn't need a Google Maps. He knows exactly where he wants you to be. And you might say, okay, Josh, like, why does that matter? Because that's very hard to believe when your life is challenging, isn't it? Has your life ever not gone according to plan? Someone's, only one person, they laughed, <laughs> right? Like, have you ever thought to yourself, like, this is not where I thought I'd be living, and this is not what I thought I'd be doing, and I, I didn't think I'd be single this long. I, I didn't think I'd ever be divorced. I never thought I'd be a single parent. I never thought that, you know, I would hear cancer. I never thought that I'd be estranged from some of my children, that I would have prodigal kids. And yet here I am. You see, when life doesn't go according to plan, when, when your life and my life is hard and full of suffering and confusion, it's easy for us to think Jesus has made a mistake and I'm in the wrong place. But maybe what you just need to hear today is if you are where you are because you're following Jesus, you're exactly where he wants you to be. You're not there because you made a mistake. You're there because Jesus led you there on purpose. You see, what I found about myself is I like when Jesus leads me to mountaintops. I don't like when he leads me down into valleys. Anybody else identify with that? It reminds me of a story in Matthew 17 that's really fascinating. Jesus uh, calls James and Peter and John. And he says, hey, come with me. And he leads them up a literal mountain. And at the top of the mountain, man, he's transfigured before them. His, his face and his clothes are shining like the sun. Elijah and Moses appear. They're paying homage to him. And then God the Father booms out from the sky. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, you want to talk about a powerful spiritual moment. This was it. The divinity of Jesus for just a moment shone through his humanity. And in the midst of all this glory, Peter decides he should probably say something. Pretty classic Peter, right? 
And he says, it is good, Lord, that we're here. And you're like, thanks, Peter. It is good, Lord, that we are here. I can build shelters for each of us. And I've always read that and thought, like, that's so random. Peter's like, I know how to pitch a tent. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? Like, this whole thing is going on. You're talking about tents. But here's what I realized. Peter wanted to stay on the mountaintop. He's like, this is amazing. There's glory and blessing and power and, and, and light and brightness. Let's build shelters and let's just stay here. And, and, J, and Jesus says to Peter, no, we're not going to build shelters, Peter. We're not going to stay here on the mountaintop. We need to go down there into the valley. Because down there in the valley, there's a, a demon-possessed child that I need to save. And man, there's a crowd full of harassed and helpless people that I need to minister to. You see, I don't think Peter wanted to leave the mountaintop. And if I'm honest, I often identify with Peter. It's like, I just want to stay in the mountaintop. I just want to stay in the blessing. I just want to stay in the glory. Right? I don't, I don't want to leave the mountaintop, and I don't want to follow Jesus down into the hard and down into the confusion and down into the pain that is the valley. But friends, if that's where Jesus is leading you, that's exactly where he needs you to be. He might need you to be down there for someone else. He might need you to be down there for you. But here's the good news of the good shepherd. He's very, very competent. So if you are where you are because you're following him, you're exactly where he wants you to be. He didn't take a wrong turn. You didn't make some sort of horrendous mistake. He has you there because that's where he wants you and you can trust that he's gonna be with you. So maybe right now you feel like you're in the valley and you're wondering to yourself, is this my fault? Did I do something wrong? And I just wanna encourage you, friend, that it could just be that that's where Jesus has you. That's where Jesus has you and he wants to do something in you. He wants to do something through you but he's with you. He's the good shepherd who is competent. But he's also the good shepherd who is trustworthy. So that phrase good refers to both his skills, his competence, and his character, his trustworthiness. He's not out to get you. His motives are pure. He's not using you for personal gain. Jesus contrasted himself. Did you see this with the hired hands in verse 12? He says, look, I'm not like the hired hands. Who were the hired hands? They were people that didn't know the sheep. They didn't own the sheep. They just wanted to make some money off of the sheep. He said, there are hired hands out there. There are false shepherds, but that's not me. I'm the good shepherd who leads you to life as opposed to the false shepherds who will lead you to destruction. The truth is there are a lot of false shepherds in the world. Some of these are, are literal people. Right? Sometimes they have large YouTube followings and popular podcasts. They write books. They might have a PhD from a seminary or pastor in front of their name. And, and they are not leading people towards Christ. They're leading people away from Christ. They're, they're speaking lies. They're dishonoring the Lord. And they're leading people away, not to the abundant life, but away. So it could be a literal person in your life that you're listening to or following who's a false shepherd. It could also be an ideology, Right? Some sort of set of ideas that you're believing or that our society believes that is a false shepherd that can't produce on what it promises. So one of the most common of these is what I would call expressive individualism. So expressive individualism is the idea that if you just look within yourself and you express whatever's in there, you will be happy. And the Bible says that's a lie. And some of you have experienced that. I've experienced that. That is a false shepherd who will not lead you to abundant life. He will lead you to destruction. You know what else is a big false shepherd in our lives? Our feelings. My feelings lie to me more than anybody else. Can I give you a word? Write this down. Don't trust everything you think. Amen? I think some crazy stuff. Like I have all kinds of crazy thoughts about they think this about me and this is going to go happen. It's just not in keeping with reality. 
right? Just because I feel something doesn't mean it's real. Don't believe everything you think. Because oftentimes our feelings can lead us astray. They can lead us to act in ways or believe things that are not in keeping with truth, that are not in keeping with God's reality. They're a false shepherd. So Jesus says, hey, I am the good shepherd. I am the trustworthy shepherd that you can trust in and that will provide the satisfaction for your soul that none of these other things can provide. He goes on in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. So he doubles down. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the third thing about Jesus as the good shepherd is he knows the sheep. He knows the sheep. And that phrase, know, refers to personal intimate knowledge. So it's the same word used to describe Adam and Eve when they conceived children. It's that Adam knew his wife. What that means on a practical level is that Jesus understands what you're going through. Jesus knows every contour and characteristic of your life. He knows your past. He knows your family. He knows your personality. He knows your disposition. He knows your fears. He knows what makes you anxious. He knows exactly what you're walking through right now. He knows you're struggling with depression. He knows that you feel like a failure as a mom and that you're really, really worried about the test results. He knows you struggle with same-sex attraction, that you're frustrated at work, He knows that you're angry. He knows that you're bitter. He knows that you're drinking again. Jesus is intimately acquainted with the contours and the characteristics of your life. He knows his sheep perfectly. So that's what it means on a practical level. But on a theological level, it means that Jesus knows our nature. So the Bible says two complementary things about humanity, okay? You might call this biblical anthropology. What does the Bible say about human beings? Two things. You need both of them. You got to hold them together. The first is this, the Bible says that we are created in God's image, that we are created in God's image. That means that we are more significant and precious than anything else in all of creation, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our creator, that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you on purpose and with a purpose, that you are not a cosmic accident. This is the basis for human rights. It's why the church has built more schools and hospitals and orphanages around the world than any other country or organization in history because people matter to God. So point number one of biblical anthropology is that you are created in the image of God and you are precious to him. Point number two of biblical anthropology is that we are sinners by nature and choice. That we are sinners by nature and choice. That in our hearts, we want to do what we want, when we want, with who we want. We hate being told what to do. Raise your hand if you love being told what to do. Anybody out there? You don't even like being told what to do by people who are paid to tell you what to do. Right? Your boss tells you to do something and once they leave, you grumble under your breath. That's her job. Her job is to tell you what to do. We just don't like it. We don't like it when anyone tells us what to do. Why is that? Because by nature, we are sinful rebels that think the universe should bend around the silhouette of our preferences, that the world should revolve around us, and when it doesn't, we get very upset. If Maybe you're hearing, Josh, that's a little intense. It's 2022. I think we've really moved past that kind of idea. That's so medieval. Great. Have children. (laughs) Just telling you. I have not had to teach my children how to be selfish, how to take, how to lie, how to sin. I haven't. They came right out of the womb very proficient in those things. 
right? Just like I did, just like you did. What do you have to teach kids? You have to teach kids to share, and you have to teach kids to tell the truth, and you have to teach kids righteousness. That's because by nature, we are sinful. We think we know better than God. And left to our own devices, we will dishonor God, we will hurt others, and we will destroy ourselves. Okay, so those are the two pieces of biblical anthropology. Precious to God, sinful by nature and choice. Because this is true, Jesus will not let you do whatever you want to do. Because you're precious to him, but he also knows that you are deceived and you are sinful in nature, he won't just let you do whatever you want to do. Guys, here's the thing. Shepherds lead, sheep follow. Right? Isn't that kind of a basic concept? I mean, I'm no agrarian expert. But I grasp that. As the shepherd, Jesus leads, and as the sheep, we are called to follow. The sheep don't lead the shepherd. The shepherd leads the sheep. Now, I know that, you know, we're 21st century Americans, so we're like, Josh, I'm not really into hierarchy. You know, why can't there be a flatter organizational structure in the kingdom of God? How about Jesus leads on Tuesdays and Thursdays? I'll lead Mondays and Wednesdays. Friday will be a hybrid day. How about that? You know, like, can we talk about this? Can we vote about this? Can we brainstorm this? And it's just like, no, like none of that is operable. Like Jesus is the shepherd. But honestly, so often, and American culture is such a broad statement, but oftentimes in America, here's what we think. We think that it's like, I like like some of what Jesus does. So I'll take like a little bit of Jesus and then I'll, I'll take a little bit of, you know, like kind of Eastern religion, some of the stuff that I get at yoga class. And like, I'll take a little bit of stuff I saw online. I'll kind of like put it together and make my own thing. And Jesus is like, no, you, if, if, I am, if you don't have all of me, you don't have any of me. Like you can't kind of be my sheep. You're either in the flock or you're not in the flock. I'm either your shepherd or I'm not your shepherd, right? So Jesus says, you're precious to me. You also are sinful by nature and choice. So I need to be the one that leads you. Did you know that when God calls his people sheep in the Bible, it's accurate, but it's not a compliment? So, so I did a lot of sheep research this week, kind of a fun thing. Um, and here's one of the things I learned about sheep. They are unbelievably foolish. Like some of the things I read, I was like, that can't be true. And then you get on YouTube and you can watch it. It's crazy if you need to spend about 45 minutes somewhere. So here's one of the things. Um, you know how like shepherds have to move their sheep around a lot? You've probably seen that. The reason is that a sheep is so foolish, it will start eating, it'll eat the grass. It'll, it'll finish the grass, it'll eat the roots of the grass. It'll just keep eating. It'll eat the dirt and you know, it, it'll eat the rocks until it fills its intestines with dirt and dies. That is what a sheep will do. And we laugh at that and think that's so foolish. But like, haven't you consumed something that's hurt you before? Oh, Josh, that was dirty. Right? I mean, like, you look out in the world and this is easy to see. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got coworkers that you're like, man, they're just, that is killing them. Right? Haven't we all been there? Like, man, why do I keep going back to that relationship? Why do I keep texting him? Why do I keep going back to that website? And why do I keep going back to that substance? Why do I keep consuming the very thing that is killing me? Why do we do that? Well, because we're sheep. So we need Jesus to graciously move us along and say, not that, but this. Don't consume that, consume this. Let me lead you to the green pastures that will restore your soul. Sheep are foolish. You know what else sheep do? Sheep wander, right? The sheep just wander off. And they're very, once they get away from the flock, they're very defenseless, like they're very foolish animals. So what'll happen is like, you know, they'll be in the flock and then they'll just get distracted by something and they'll just start walking away. And there's these crazy videos of sheep just walking off of cliffs. 
It's crazy. Like, you just watch it, and it's just like one, two. Like, it's just, they just do. They just walk right off cliff and die. And so, like, once a sheep gets away from the flock, it's, it's in really bad shape. And so what shepherds will do is they have a staff. And so let's say a sheep is, is wandering away, and they'll take the, shaft and the, and the, uh, the staff, and they'll bring the sheep back into the flock. And they do that so that the sheep doesn't die, so it doesn't hurt itself. And they'll do this three or four times, sometimes five, as many as five times. And when it happens, they'll, they'll bring the sheep in, and they'll get down on its level. And so many times shepherds name their sheep, and so they'll use the name of the sheep, and they'll say, you need to stay in the flock. Brought you back, you need to, you need to stay in the flock. Great. Um, but what I learned is that if a sheep continually strays, and over and over and over again, the shepherd has to bring it back. Because it's very dangerous for that sheep to stray, what the shepherd will do is on the last time, he'll go and find the sheep and he will break its leg. And then he'll take the sheep and he'll put it on his shoulders and he'll walk it back to the flock. So you know those pictures you've seen of the shepherd with the sheep on its shoulders that you thought were cute? <laughs> it's not what's happening there. It's a broken leg. Now here's why I tell you that. Doesn't God do the same thing in our lives? Like, we have a tendency to wander, don't we? And we, we wander for a lot of reasons. Why do we wander? I don't know. You went to college. You kind of did your own thing. You graduated. You moved to a big city. You didn't have any Christian community or accountability. You sort of did your own thing. Started making a lot of money. Got into a bad romantic relationship. Started messing around with some things on the internet that you shouldn't have been. I don't know. I don't know why we all wander. But here's, here's how Jesus operates. Man, his preference is to call you back gently. Just a little staff. Just come on back here. Let's, no, we're not going over there. Let's come over here, right? That's his, that's his preferred means of calling you back. But, but if you don't listen to the gentle voice, he'll use a sterner voice. And if you won't listen to the sterner voice, he'll break your leg. Haven't you experienced that? I mean, he'll break the relationship. He'll break the job. He'll break the dream. Jesus is willing to wound you if it's the only way to stop you from wandering. That's true. That's been true in my life. He loves you too much to let you wander away to your demise. And so he's willing to do hard things in your life, what the Puritans used to call a severe mercy, if it means you coming back to the flock. So Jesus is a, is a shepherd who knows his sheep. You're precious to him. He also knows you're a wanderer. And so as a result, he leads and we follow. Here's verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So Jesus is competent. He's trustworthy. He knows the sheep. Next, we learn that Jesus goes after lost sheep. He's a shepherd that goes after lost sheep. Did you notice he said, I must? He says, I must go after these lost sheep because I'm the only good shepherd. I'm the only one that can bring abundant life now and eternal life forever. I'm it, so I've got to go get those sheep. The other sheep he's referring to in this passage are all the people throughout time and space that would believe in his words and respond. That's how you know someone is one of Jesus' sheep is if they listen to his voice. You notice that? So you're ministering to somebody, you're sharing the gospel, you're sharing the word of God. It's like, how do I know if this is one of Jesus' sheep? Well, are they, are they responding to his voice? How do you know if you're one of his sheep? Well, are you responding to his voice? Are you responding to the word of Christ? In Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable to help us understand his heart as a shepherd. He says, this is the kind of God I am. This is the kind of savior that I am. He says, I'm like a shepherd who had a hundred sheep out in the field. And one of those sheep wandered away and got lost. I'm the kind of shepherd who will leave the 99 sheep behind and go on a rescue mission to the other side of the world to rescue that one lost sheep. And I'll do that because I know that sheep. 
That sheep is precious to me and that sheep is mine. Jesus is the kind of shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after the one lost sheep and we need to be the kind of church that goes after the one lost sheep. Did you know that if the stats are true, then 91% of the people in our community are disconnected from Christ or from his church? 91%. 76% say, I have no relationship whatsoever with Jesus Christ. Another 15% would say, like, sure, like, I identify as a Christian, but I have no connection to any church or ministry whatsoever. Think about 91%, more than 9 out of 10 of the people that you interact with in your daily life separated from Christ. This really came home to Meredith and I personally when we first moved here. We lived in a, a townhouse in a neighborhood kind of over in Pantops behind the Chick-fil-A. And there were 18 townhouse units on our street. And we got to know everybody in, in every one of those units. And best we could tell, there was one other unit with a Christian family in it. So two out of 18. So that's 11%. That's actually better than the stated value of the area. Now that townhouse unit had 335 units in it. So let's just assume that our street was characteristic of, of, of the whole. That means of 335 townhouse units, 300 of them were lived in by people who were created in God's image, but apart from Christ are going to suffer eternally separated from him. Now take that and now multiply that out by your neighborhood and by your dorm and by your apartment complex and by your cul-de-sac and by your kids' sports teams. Jesus is saying, look, I have got lost sheep in Charlottesville. I've got lost sheep at UVA. I've got lost sheep in Greene County and Abmar County and Crozet and Ruckersville and everywhere in between, and we must go and find them. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is a good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep, and we must be a church that goes after lost sheep. But the temptation of the church is to focus on the sheep in here rather than the sheep out there. The temptation of the church is to focus on the sheep that are already in here rather than the sheep out there. Now, the sheep in here matter. We need to care for one another, minister to one another, and love one another. But we've absolutely got to get our eyes up off of just what we would like or what would be our preference and get our eyes out to all of the need around us. And that means practically, we are sometimes going to do things as a church that make you mad. You're going to be like, why are we changing again? Like, why are we adding a service time? Why are there so many people here now? I liked it better when it was the size when I joined. Why are you asking my group to plant again? Lost sheep. Lost sheep. Look, I have, no, I have no number of size that I want our church to be. Do you know what I want us to do? I want us to reach one more. I just want us to reach one more. Because do you know what? Every one more is someone's son, is someone's brother, is someone's husband, is someone's child. Every sheep out there that belongs to Jesus belongs to Jesus. He loves that sheep. He died for that sheep. He's saying, Center Church, will you be like me? Will you go out there and engage those sheep? And our commitment is yes. It's why our third value is we love to reach the lost. And sometimes that's going to make you mad. You're like, I liked my service times. It's like, I know, I did too. Right? It's like, I liked my group. I know, I did too. Right? But we simply have to say, man, when there are that many lost sheep out there, we've got to be willing to go and call them home. And there's two kind of words that summarize how we do this as a church. Mobilization and multiplication. I hope you appreciate both of those start with M and end in Asian. Okay, quick work. All right, what does mobilization mean? Mobilization means we want to equip and inspire you to go be salt and light in the world. We want to mobilize you. Okay, we want, we want you to understand your spiritual gifts and we want you to go reach people in the spheres of influence that God has given you to reach. That might be a classroom. That might be a sports team. That might be a business. That might be a cul-de-sac. That might be the carpool line. 
Man, we, we want to send an army of people out into the community as salt and light. We want to make it hard to go to hell from Charlottesville, Virginia. And so we want to mobilize you, mobilization. And the second word that we use here is multiplication. Man, we are committed to multiplying disciples and multiplying leaders and multiplying groups and multiplying ministries and multiplying churches. So the natural tendency of a church is to collect. Instead, we want to commission. We want to send out some of our very best people to, law, to reach lost sheep in other places. I mean, Julia is an example of that. She is one of our best people. If you raise your hand, I'd have to say she's better than you. It's just true. She is. Like, she's led, like, multiple people to Christ at her job that we've, like, baptized here. She's, like, a leader in our prayer ministry. She gives generously. She serves willingly. She leads, and now she's leaving. She's gone. This is the last time she's going to be here. And we're so happy about that because we are going to send her out to a place with almost no witness to Jesus Christ. And you know what she's going to do there? She's going to look for lost sheep. She'd be like, hey, are you one of his sheep? Are you going to respond to his word? No? Okay. Are you? Oh, you are? You're responding to his word? Hey, we've got a flock here. Come on in. There's a shepherd actually who loves you and who died for you so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And he doesn't want bad for you. He doesn't want to hurt you, harm you, take from you. He wants to save you and give you abundant life now and eternal life forever. That's what Julia is going to go do on the mission field. So what does this mean for, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for us? Well, I don't know. It might mean that you need to pray about going with Tanner to Norfolk next summer. Like he's going to go plant a gospel-centered church in Norfolk, Virginia. You know what he's going to do there? Look for lost sheep. Hey, are you a lost sheep? Are you one of Jesus' sheep? Come on in. We've got a flock here. Maybe, maybe you work remotely. Maybe you're in healthcare. Maybe you're a teacher. You can get a job anywhere. Why not give a couple of your years, man, to finding lost sheep in Norfolk? That's how this church got here. 37 adults from North Carolina said, I'll give my life to finding lost sheep in Charlottesville. And look at all that God has done. God has multiplied our original launch team by more than tenfold in four years. That's what he does. And when we trust him and we go, he does amazing things. So maybe you need to think about Norfolk. Maybe you need to think about giving generously and sacrificially to the Hold the Rope offering. 100% of every dollar that is given is going outside of this church to support people who are looking for lost sheep. Whether it's overseas like Julia, whether it's in Norfolk like Tanner, or whether it's among refugee populations right here in our backyard. So maybe that's what God is calling you to do. You and your family say, hey, we're going to give more than we, ex- we anticipated. We're going to give sacrificially because, man, we want to hold the rope. We want to be the kind of family and we want to be the kind of church, man, that goes after lost sheep just like Jesus did. Jesus is the kind of shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. And we need to be the kind of church that does that same thing. All right, last thing here, verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So this is the third time in this passage that Jesus has said, I lay my life down for my sheep. You see, the primary thing, the fundamental thing, the very first thing that Jesus, the good shepherd, does for his flock is lay his life down for it. And that is the reason that you can trust him. That is the reason that you can follow him with confidence because anyone that's willing to lay their life down for you is a shepherd worth following. The main message of Christianity, the hub of the wheel, as it were, is Jesus Christ dies for sinners. The the main message of Christianity, hear me, is not love your neighbor as yourself. 
It's not turn the other cheek. It's not feed the hungry or care about the poor. Those are all very important things. Those are very important implications of the main thing. They are spokes of the hub. But the blazing center of Christianity is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The breathtaking reality of Jesus Christ, hear me, is that he did not have to lay his life down. No one took it from him. There was no external force or personality which could compel God the Son to do what he did. The Romans didn't take it from him. The Jews didn't take it from him. Satan didn't take it from him. The only reason that Jesus Christ died was because he wanted to. The unfathomable reality of the God of the Bible is that Jesus Christ looked at the humiliation, the torment, the betrayal, the unthinkable reality of becoming sin and absorbing the wrath of God on your behalf, and he chose to do it. He chose to lay his life down. No one took it from him. Why did he do that? Because he loves his sheep. You are so precious to him that as he sat in heaven and he saw that you were lost and that you were wandering and that you were going to kill yourself, he wasn't willing to sit in heaven and watch you perish. So he came to earth. He took on flesh and the shepherd died for the sheep. You can have abundant life now because Jesus gave up his life then. You can be forgiven of your sins and welcomed into heaven because Jesus Christ became your sin and experienced hell on earth. You can have life because Jesus experienced death in your place. And friends, any shepherd that would do that for his sheep is a shepherd that is worth trusting. Any shepherd that would do that for his sheep is a shepherd worth following. And so the question for all of this, for all of us is, are you trusting and are you following? As we close, I just want to give you a couple questions to think about. Is there an area of your life where you're wandering? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your schedule. Maybe it's your sexuality. Maybe it's in parenting. I don't know. Is there an area of your life that you're wandering and you just need to listen to the gentle voice of Christ? Is, is there some area of your life that you just need to trust that Jesus knows best? You just need to believe that he has good for you. He's not here to take from you. He's here to give to you. He's not here to bring sorrow into your life. He's here to bring abundant life. And you just need to lean in and trust that even though this is hard and even this doesn't feel normal to me, I need to trust that he has my good in mind. Or maybe you are in a valley and the one thing you need to hear from this sermon today, the one thing that I want you to walk away from is you're not in the valley because you made a mistake. You're in the valley because your good shepherd led you there. And if he led you there, you can trust him to lead you through it. So if you bow your heads with me, I want to give you a chance to just respond. And I just want to read the words of Psalm 23 over us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, the cross of Christ is the greatest evidence that Jesus is the good shepherd 
who leads us towards the abundant life we are created for. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're our shepherd. I thank you that you're our good shepherd that we can trust. Lord, I pray that you grant us faith today. Faith today to follow you. Faith today to do what you call us to do, even when it's very different than what the world calls us to do. Faith today to go after lost sheep in our community that you love. Lord, faith in the valley to believe that there will be an end and that you are sufficient and you are enough in the midst of it. Jesus, I thank you that we can have eternal life, that we can be welcomed into heaven because you experienced hell on earth. And I pray that that would move our hearts and that that would create in us faith to follow you this week. We love you, our shepherd. We pray these things in your name.